Uh, before we jump into the message, I just want to let you know about a couple of things that uh, have been going on this weekend across our wider family of churches in Baptist world. Uh, so on Friday night, we had our half-yearly assembly, uh, which is an opportunity for us to gather together and talk about some of the business stuff that we have to talk about as a network of churches, uh, but also to be able to hear some stories about what's happening uh, right across Adelaide and around the world, which is really, really exciting. And then yesterday, we had uh, our 4D leadership conference, uh, which a few of our Richmond friends were at, which was really, really great. And uh, that was also very inspiring to hear a whole bunch of stories of what's going on around the place. And one of the things that I know I can fall into the trap of is doing this. Now, whether anyone else can relate, where there's a sense where it's like I just get focused on what's happening for me or just get focused on what's happening for us and kind of lose sight of what else is going on. And particularly when things aren't completely humming or there's some stuff that we're trying to work on or whatever, there can be this sense of like, is like, what's happening? And so opportunities like this weekend have been a great chance to be able to have my eyes lifted and to encourage you that there are really amazing things that are happening right across our city, right across our country, and all around the world. And it's so great to just kind of get a snapshot of that and to hear random stories of people wandering into churches uh, off the street and wanting to find out more about Jesus. Uh, lots of people getting baptised around the place. Lots of great stories about people having their lives transformed in really, really significant ways as they journey together in churches, uh, and then to hear about some of the stuff that's happening globally as well. And it's a great reminder, too, that it's not just us, that we are a part of this wider family uh, in Baptist churches, where there's all these great things happening and where we get to cheer each other on, encourage each other. Uh, but then I was also thinking, you multiply that significantly by all of the other movements that are around Australia and around the world and it's really, really great to stop and just recognise God's up to a lot. And one of the themes that came through a couple of times over the last day and a half is this recognition that uh, particularly the media portrays things very negatively and um, churches can be very guilty of this where we talk a lot about doom and gloom and how there's all this opposition against us and there's all these bad things happening and life's really, really hard and no one's interested in Jesus. And it's just not true. There's some really, really great stuff going on and some really great things where we can see that God's at work. And so I hope that you feel encouraged about that. And uh, if you're feeling a bit discouraged or a bit like, I'm not sure where God's at, then have some conversations. Uh, talk with someone about what's going on because there's some good things happening. So we're going to jump into our message now. And I want to start by asking, what's your image of Jesus? And you might even like to close your eyes. What is the picture that you have of what Jesus looks like. And I would love you to think about where that image comes from. So why do you have the image that you have? I think for a lot of us, it ends up coming from art or it comes from movies or TV shows that we've seen about Jesus. And I'll be very honest, for quite a bit of my life, the picture that I had of Jesus when I closed my eyes was Jesus with blue eyes, long blonde flowing locks, very Western Jesus, white Jesus, which I think most of us now have moved past that where we recognise, no, no, Jesus was born in the Middle East, so he was probably Middle Eastern. I think most of us have come to grips with that, but it's interesting that for so many of us, for a long, long time, that's what our picture of Jesus was. But now I want you to try and think about what your image of Jesus would be if you didn't have any of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the four biographies about Jesus. 
So imagine that you had never had the opportunity to hear anything about Jesus that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's a hard thing to do, but what would your image of Jesus be then? What would your perception be of what Jesus was going to be like? And to take that a step further, would you even recognise Jesus if he showed up based on what you knew about Jesus in the absence of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John? We're doing this series at the moment over these weeks where we're talking about encounter, uh, engage and encounter, an opportunity for us to engage with scripture, but so that we can encounter Jesus. We want to recognise that the Bible reveals who Jesus is. That is the purpose of the Bible, is to reveal Jesus to us, because we believe that Jesus is the one who shows us what God is like. And Jesus is also the one who shows us what life is all about and what we're designed for. And so scripture becomes this crucial starting point for us in our journey because it helps us to understand everything else that we're supposed to believe. But I think it's a fair statement to say a lot of us struggle to read the Bible on a regular basis. It's not something that most of us would say, yes, I have got that absolutely nailed. I'm really great at reading the Bible. It's never hard for me to do it. And I think a part of the challenge for that is because it is a very complicated book. And in actual fact, it's not a book at all. When we think about reading a book, where do you start? The beginning. And where do you read through? All of the pages until you get to the end. And if anyone's tried to do that and to try and read through the Bible from the beginning, you've probably got a couple of books in, and then you're like, what is happening? And you probably at that point gave up. And when we try and read the Bible all the same way, all the way through, as if it is all exactly the same, it's no big surprise that we end up getting stuck and having a hard time. And so this series is an opportunity for us to recognise the Bible is actually far more like a library. And each time we open the Bible up, we need to imagine that we are actually taking a book off of a shelf and to recognise that all of those books fit into different types of literature. And therefore, we need to approach all of that literature in different ways so that we can encounter Jesus. And so, so far in this series, uh, Mark kicked our series off a couple of weeks ago and looked at Old Testament narratives. And then last week, we had Melinda talking about the law and about Torah, which was really, really helpful. And so as a part of this series, we've been providing some resources for you that I hope that you've been finding really, really helpful. And in particular, part of those resources is to say, here are some other ways to engage with Scripture. And when we talked about what this series was going to be called, we're very intentional to not call it read, but to call it engage. Because some of us, our barrier is about having to sit down and read a book at all, but particularly to read the Bible. And so part of our resourcing is to say, here are a bunch of other ways to be able to engage with Scripture, whether that's listening to Scripture through the Bible app, whether it's uh, listening to Scripture through an app like Lectio 365, which is part of what I use every single day, whether it's sitting and reading with others, which can be helpful to hear other people reading Scripture with us together. And uh, as we continue through the series, there's going to be some other examples that we'll give you as well. But we want to encourage you to just give it a go and to engage with Scripture in all sorts of different ways. And even if you are someone who is a big reader, try some of these different ways of engaging with Scripture, because sometimes it can really help that to come alive for us too. The challenge for us is that if we want to be able to get better at reading Scripture, we have to take the time to practice. We love that word practice, where we talk about it in two contexts. A practice is a habit, but a practice is also literally about practicing something. 
We have to retrain ourselves about the way that we engage with Scripture in order for us uh, to have the effect that we want it to have. We can't expect to magically flick a switch and just suddenly we can read Scripture and we're passionate about it and it's exciting and we understand Jesus. It takes time for us to be able to do it. And we have to recognise that it's only going to make a difference if we do that consistently over time if we actually put it into practice and if we actually put it into action. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that our takeaway from this is just to think about it some more or to talk about it some more. And then magically, it's just going to make a difference in our lives. And uh, one of the examples that was used uh, at the 4D conference yesterday, which I've adapted today, is to recognise that we know this is just not how the world works. And uh, for me, I was thinking particularly, uh, we were having a conversation this week about budgets. Uh, We've talked to our kids, Josh and Rachel, for a while about budgets and what that looks like and tried to equip them with budgets. Uh, But recognise that if they took that information and just said, I'm just going to think about this some more, It's not really going to make a difference. Or if they said, I'm going to take this budget idea and I'm going to sit down with my friends and we're going to sit around and talk about how great budgets are and how wonderful it would be for us to have a budget. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a budget and all of our finances were under control? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? And then they came back to me and they said, do you know what we did? We had a great conversation about budgets. And we think budgets are a really, really great idea. But they never applied it It's kind of missed the whole point. And we can be very guilty of that in a lot of our spiritual practices, where we sit around and we talk about how great it would be for us to read Scripture more often, to engage with Scripture more often, or to pray more often, or to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. But we kind of leave it there as, yeah, we had a great conversation about that. That would be awesome if that happened. The only way it's going to change is for us to put things into practice. And so uh, I'm hopeful uh, that you are using those resources and I do want to challenge you to at least give them a try. And don't feel pressure to say, I have to therefore complete all of them every single week. There are readings for each day. But if you aren't engaging with scripture at all, that might be a little bit overwhelming. So just do it once a week or do it a couple of times a week or do it three times a week. The expectation with this series is not that you're going to come back to me at the end of it with all of the resource sheets having ticked off every day and say, look, Nate, I did them every day and I'll give you a gold star. That is not the point of what we're trying to do with this. Wherever you're at, just take your next step and do something and then something else and something else and hopefully by the end of it you feel like you've moved uh, in your journey. So this week, our focus is on prophetic literature and uh, the prophets in particular. And so if you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can open that up now and uh, you can go to down the bottom right where it says more and then events and uh, tap on Richmond and you'll see our outline there. And if there's things that you want to jot down as we make our way through today's message, then we would strongly encourage you to be able to do that to take into this week. So the context of uh, where the prophets fit in the whole biblical narrative is really, really important. And it's great for us to just continually remind ourselves that even though the Bible is more like a library, a whole set of books, there is this 
big narrative that goes from the beginning of the Bible through to the end of the Bible, that weaves through all of the different types of literature. And uh, there are all sorts of different ways of talking about how that big story fits together. I'm really, really grateful for uh, the work that uh, one of our friends here at Richmond, Trav Johnson, has done over the years with an organisation he's the leader of called Access the Story. And uh, so some of the language that I'll use in this is directly stolen from him. He's not here today, so uh, if he's (laughs) listening to it, thanks, Trav. So the biblical narrative starts with God's original design for humanity, And this recognition that we were created so that we could have a relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. That's what God's original design was. That's what God's original plan was. And sometimes I love to just stop and imagine what it must have been like before creation when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity of God, were sitting around dreaming this whole thing up. I kind of picture them sitting around a round table, maybe with some butcher's paper out in front of them, having a brainstorming session. Maybe that says more about me than anything else. But being able to say, what can we dream up? What is this going to look like? And they start having some conversation. And talk, we should create these beings. Let's call them humans or people. And so they have this idea about creating humanity and creating people so that we can have the same experience that they have of being in a relational connection and being swept up in the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But they take that a step further and they decide, let's not make this just about them having a relationship with us individually. Let's give them the opportunity to experience this life and this love with each other. And so we want to create them so they have a great relationship with each other as well. But they're not just going to kind of float in space. Let's put them somewhere that's incredible and beautiful and amazing and diverse. And so they dream up all of the things that are a part of creation. And I imagine what that piece of paper ends up being filled with as they dream up what the picture is. I love the idea of thinking of kind of almost a blueprint that the Trinity came up with to say this is what we're going to create. It's so important that that's where we start our recognition about what God wants from us is that God's original plan was for us to have a full, complete relationship with him, with each other, and with the creation around us. But from the very beginning, we had this thing where we decided to say thanks but no thanks to God. To say, that's a lovely idea, but we would rather do our own thing, and we walk away from God's best. Rather than living the way that we were created, that we were designed to live, we choose to walk off and go our own way. And that creates brokenness in our relationship with God, it creates brokenness in our relationships with each other, and it creates brokenness in our relationship with creation as well. But at that point, God didn't give up. He didn't say, that's it, you ruined it. (laughs) He didn't give up on us at all, but rather, he chose a group of people, starting with this guy named Abraham, and Abraham's family, who would become this group known as the Israelites. And chose those people to say, I'm going to show you the way that you were designed to live, the way that you were created to live. And as Melinda shared last week, the law or the Torah wasn't designed to be this set of rules that they had to make sure that they followed or else there were all these awful consequences for them. It was supposed to be a set of guidelines for them to understand. This is what God's like. And this is what it looks like to live the way that God created us to live and to reflect God in our relationships with each other and the world around us. It was never given with an expectation that the Israelites were going to somehow manage to perfect living out the law and then earn their way into God's family. It was the other way around, where God wanted the Israelites to be able to say, you are my chosen people, so live like it. And here's some guidelines on how to do that best. 
But the Israelites continued humanity's desire to say thanks but no thanks to God and continued to walk away from God's best. And that's what we see in a lot of the Old Testament narratives, the brokenness and the destruction that ends up coming when we say, I would rather live my way rather than the way that God designed me to live. But God didn't give up even then. God gave them this growing expectation that at just the right time, someone was going to come along who was going to allow us to experience what God's original design always was. This figure, who was called the Messiah or the Saviour or the Rescuer, was going to appear at some point and set things right and establish the ability for us to be able to live the way that God designed us to live as God's people in relationships with him, with each other, and with creation. And so this expectation built generation after generation, century after century. As the Israelites went through all of the different journeying that they did, and then into exile and then out of exile, wondering when it was that this person would arrive who would come and finally set things right. And so that's where we pick things up with the prophetic literature, with the prophets. The prophets were these people who spoke on behalf of God to the Israelites to be able to help them to hear what it was that God was saying in the midst of the journeying that they were going through. And sometimes the prophets would come and they would bring a word of correction to say, this is not God's best, come back to God's way of living. Sometimes it was a rebuke. Here are the consequences of the decisions that you've made and the brokenness that's around you is because of the choices that you've made. But often it was filled with a sense of hope and this expectation that the Messiah was going to come. You've walked away from God's best. You're not living the way that God wants you to live. There are consequences of that, but a time is coming when everything is going to be made right and the Messiah will appear. And so in some ways, this is the simplest version of engaging with Scripture to try and encounter Jesus, other than what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, where we actually read about Jesus. Because there's all of this prophetic literature about who Jesus was going to be. And it makes up a lot of the books of the Old Testament. So there are what are known as the major prophets. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel and Daniel. And then the minor prophets. They're all up on the screen. I'm not going to read them all out to you. It's important to say these are not minor and major prophets because they're less or more important. It's just purely how long their book is. So the ones that are bigger books are the major prophets, and the ones that are shorter books are the minor prophets. But there are 17 books of prophetic literature out of the 39 books in the Old Testament. So that's over 40% of the books in the Old Testament are prophetic literature. It's really, really significant. And all of the prophets lived between 873 and 400 BC, so hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. But with all of these prophecies about this man who was going to come. There are also other prophecies that are sprinkled throughout the other books, uh, including the Psalms, which we will unpack next week. Um, So throughout a number of the other books, we also read a bunch of prophecies about this Messiah as well. And they tend to fit into three different types of categories of prophecy. So the first type is what's called typology. And uh, so an easy way of understanding that is really shadows, shadows of Jesus, foreshadowings of what Jesus was going to be like. So a typology is kind of a person or an event that foreshadows Jesus. So some examples of that, Jonah. 
being buried in the belly of a fish, not whale. Thank you very much, just to be clear. <laughs> but that is one of those things that we just... No, he was in a whale, wasn't he? No, he was not. So uh, in the belly of a fish, maybe it was a big fish, maybe it was a whale, who knows. But being buried in there for three days, a shark, you reckon, <laughs> um, for three days and then came out again. That's a foreshadowing of Jesus dying, going into the tomb and then rising again. That is a typology of Jesus. Uh, if you were tracking along with our resources a couple of weeks ago, you might have reread the story of Joseph. Joseph's whole life is a typology of Jesus. Joseph, who was rejected by his own people, became a servant, became a servant, was betrayed for money, was falsely accused, but ultimately ended up providing rescue for God's people. Does any of that sound vaguely familiar, like Jesus's story? So Joseph's whole life is actually a foreshadowing of Jesus. The prophecies that were spoken to Abraham and David about one of their descendants becoming a king who was going to establish an eternal throne that would exist forever. That's a typology of Jesus. And then events like the Passover that happens in Exodus as the Israelites are set free from slavery in Egypt. Jesus' rescue of us and what Jesus does for us is reminiscent of all of that. And so with typologies, we see this intertwining of narrative and prophecy. And so, again, if you read through some of our readings in the Old Testament narrative week, you might remember some of those narratives that were, hey, this kind of seems a lot like Jesus. So that's one type of prophecy is typology. Second type is metaphors, so word pictures of what Jesus is like. And so we think of uh, a shepherd, we think of a gardener in a vineyard, we think of a potter, we think of the image of bread. So all of these metaphors, which we know that Jesus ultimately comes to show us what that looks like and what that means. So that's another type of prophecy that we read about Jesus. And then we have the specific prophecies about the Messiah. So the prophecies about the birth of the Messiah, the prophecies about the life and ministry of the Messiah, and the prophecies about the death of the Messiah. So all of these things that said, this is who this person is going to be. And there are dozens of these that are sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. And what I love is that the percentage chance of one person fulfilling all of these things is just ridiculously small. Recognise that particularly some of the stuff is out of control of your own life. You can't choose where you're born. You can't choose the family that you're born into. You can't choose whether you're taken to Egypt when you're a young child. So a whole bunch of stuff is just completely out of the control of even anyone who wanted to say, I'm going to make myself the Messiah. But uh, some maths geeks have done some work on this. And uh, my favourite stat is that uh, the percentage chance is up to one in 10 to the power of 17, which is a lot of zeros. So awesome. That's the percentage chance of someone being able to fulfill all of the prophecies about the Messiah in one person's life. It's staggering, really. Partly shows how many prophecies there are about Jesus. And many of these prophecies are then specifically referenced in the Gospels, in the biographies about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, in particular, loves to say, this happened to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, just to remind us, no, like, there, there it is, it's right there. Now, there is one other type of prophetic passage that we find throughout Scripture, and that is about end time stuff. And uh, if you were hoping we would talk about that today, I'm sorry to let you down. We are going to get to that, but we'll do that at the end when we talk about end times and focus on Revelation. So we are going to get to that, but not today. 
In the last part of our time today, what I want us to do is to dig into this last type of prophecy around the specific prophecies about the Messiah. And as we've done throughout this series, just want to give us a series of questions that are helpful for us to think about today, but also to take into this week to think about how we can engage with Scripture to encounter Jesus. So the first question is, what does this teach me about God's heart and character? Now, if that question seems familiar to you, good because that means that you have been looking at our resources. Uh, But it also shouldn't be a big surprise, because as we've said throughout this series, one of our biggest dangers when we engage with Scripture is that we start with ourselves. What does this say about me? And the starting point of Scripture is always, what does this say about God? What What is God like? What is God's heart and God's character like? And so even when we look at prophetic literature, we want to start there and say, what does this teach me about God? How does this help me to understand the character and the heart of God? Yes, we then get to what does it mean to then be an image bearer of God and to live the way that God wants me to, but we start with what God is like. A second question is then what does this teach me about the type of king that Jesus comes to be and the type of kingdom that Jesus comes to establish? So many people missed that Jesus was coming as the Messiah because of their perceptions of the type of king that Jesus was going to be and the type of kingdom that Jesus was going to come and establish. The expectation of most of the Israelites was that the Messiah was going to come as this military ruler who would ride in on a very fancy horse and uh, just kind of wave his magic sword and destroy everybody and re-establish Israel as the most dominant nation on earth. That was the expectation of what the Messiah was going to be like. And so they missed Jesus as the Messiah, because Jesus doesn't really come and do any of those things. What's fascinating is that if you read the prophecies about the Messiah, and if you do look at them this week, you will see that it's very hard to understand why people had that perception of what Jesus was, of what the Messiah was going to be like. So many of the prophecies say the exact opposite of the Messiah coming as this military ruler who is going to come and wipe everyone out. But I'm very challenged about what perceptions I have about Jesus as king and what perceptions I have about the type of kingdom Jesus comes to establish, life the way that God created it to be. What are my perceptions of that that are biased based on my upbringing, based on my cultural norms? What are the places where I project things onto Jesus that aren't actually there? And so particularly as we look at the prophetic literature, it's a good opportunity for us to go back to basics and say, what does this teach me about the type of king that Jesus comes to be and the type of kingdom that Jesus comes to establish? A third question is then, how does Jesus' life, teaching, death and resurrection reshape our understanding of this prophecy? Because... As we look at Jesus, we are fortunate that we do have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And so as we read about Jesus, as we look at who Jesus is, as we look at what Jesus taught, and even more profoundly as we look at the way in which Jesus lived, we want to then look back at the Old Testament prophecies so that we can make sure that we're seeing them as accurately as possible. And this is a really, really important point, that we don't look at Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament We look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. We don't look at Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament. We look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. 
Now, that might seem like a very subtle point, but it's really, really important. Because what we sometimes do is look at an Old Testament passage and project that onto Jesus. Our starting point has to be the other way around, to look at Jesus, to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, and then project that back onto the things that we read in the Old Testament, particularly around the prophecies about Jesus. A fourth question then is to recognise that if Jesus comes as the Messiah, that means I don't have to be, which is really, really freeing and very, very releasing. So in what ways am I released from having to be the Messiah or the Saviour because of Jesus? If Jesus is the one who comes to bring ultimate rescue, if Jesus is the one who comes to establish life the way that God wanted it to be, the way the original design was, if Jesus comes to bring the kingdom to us, then it's not my responsibility to have to be the one who makes that happen. And that is very, very liberating. And so being able to say, if Jesus is who he says that he is, what does that mean I don't have to carry around with me? What is the invitation that Jesus is issuing to me to allow myself to be transformed in the light of who he is and what he's done? Our focus when we decided that we wanted to do this series was unapologetically on application and just and equipping. We wanted to be able to say that this series is about equipping you to be able to engage with Scripture yourself and to then apply what it is that you're discovering. Sometimes, again, we can fall into the trap of thinking that we come along on a Sunday, we hope that someone's going to say something really clever and that's going to transform us and then everything will be great as we head out into the week. But it's actually far more important. Our role as a church is to equip each other to be able to be people who can live the way that Jesus wants us to live. And so this series was unapologetically set up to say we want this to be about equipping you to be able to engage with Scripture. And so we want to do that in some different ways as we make our way through this series. And so if you were here last week, you would remember that Melinda gave us the opportunity to participate in a big group exercise where we gave some feedback together. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do that as a smaller group exercise, particularly for those of you who are more introverted. I won't look at any of you. Uh, and less confident to be able to speak up in a big group. Um, but also, this is a part of what the life of the church is supposed to be, that we gather together in smaller groups to be able to talk about what's going on for us and to be able to wrestle with things ourselves. And so we're going to just take five minutes. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just five minutes or so to engage with those questions around a specific passage. And so you can just grab kind of three or four people around you. And the point of this is not to try and come up with the right answers. I'm sure there are some of you are freaking out right now where it's like, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know the answer to this? It doesn't matter. That's not the point, is to come up with the right answers. The point is, how can I encounter Jesus in a new and fresh way just by looking at this passage? And so whatever you discover, whatever you see for the first time is awesome. And that's something to be excited about. So that's the whole point of us having these conversations together. So the passage we're going to look at is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And so if you've got the Bible app open, you'll see that it's there. Uh, if you don't and you've got a Bible with you, you might want to open up to that because we're not going to leave it up on the screen. We're going to put those questions back up in a minute so that you can have the conversations around it. But I'm going to read the passage and uh, then we're going to take a few minutes just to get into groups of three or four and to engage with those questions. Recognise you are not getting through all of these questions in five minutes. Zero chance. 
It's totally fine. The idea is that this just kind of catalyzes some stuff that hopefully you continue talking about in the next part of our gathering over some coffee uh, or that you take out into your conversations this week. So Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbours, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will, all, will know me already, says the Lord. And I'll forgive their wickedness, and I'll never again remember their sins. So, just turn to three or four people around you, put those questions back up, thanks Ari, and uh, want you to just look at one of those questions or a couple of those questions as a way of looking at that passage. Is there something that you discover from this about who Jesus is? Uh, and then we're going to come back together and uh, wrap things up, sing a song, and then uh, move into a time of coffee and conversation. So if you want to uh, just start to wrap up your conversations and come back together. That was very rapid. <laughs> the other thing I'd like us to do before we just kind of wrap this part of our time up together uh, is what I think is most important whenever we engage with Scripture, and it's to ask two very simple but important questions. What do I sense that Jesus is saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? What do I sense that Jesus is saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? And so I'm going to just give us a few moments. Uh, you can close your eyes if you want to, but on the basis of the conversations and what you've been thinking so far, is there one thought that's been helpful for you that kind of changes your perception or your understanding of who Jesus is or what Jesus is up to? Uh, but most importantly, is there something that you want to take away from that? And that may even be, I just want to do this more. Or it may be, I want to prioritise reading scripture this week. Or it may be that I want to change my perceptions of who Jesus is. Or it could be a whole bunch of other things. But what do you sense Jesus is saying? And what are you going to do about it? Just take a couple of moments, uh, think about that, and then we'll wrap this part up.
what we've just walked through is a huge part of what the goal is of our gospel groups. And uh, we talk about them being a really, really important part of who we are. This is the essence of what we want to be able to do together, is to engage with Scripture together, to discuss some things together, to recognise that none of us have all of the answers. We need to wrestle with these things with each other. But then ultimately to get to a point with a group of people that know us and know where we're at and where we can journey together to be able to say, what are the things that I want to take away into this week? What are the things that I want to put into practice in my life this week, as well as having safe accountability around that with a group of people who we know have got our backs and want to say, yes, you said that you were going to try and do this. You said that you were going to try and put that into practice. How did that go? Without any sense of pressure or any sense of like, if you didn't do it, then that's wrong or bad, but just being able to help us to do the things that we know that we want to do. So that's a huge part of what our gospel groups are all about. I'm grateful that lots of us are in gospel groups, but if you're not, We'd love to have a conversation with you, and uh, if you're struggling a little bit in terms of how gospel groups fit with what you're trying to do, I would love to have a conversation with you about that as well. This is a massive part of what we're going to focus on as we continue uh, into this year, is the best ways of us being able to engage in the practices that Jesus has given us to be able to live the way that he wants to in relationships with each other. So if there's any follow-up conversations you want to have around that, very, very happy to do it. And one last plug to remind you that there are resources or this week. There are some hard copies at the back there and in the cafe, and it'll be emailed out uh, in our weekly email tomorrow. If you don't get our weekly email, come and see me. We'll make sure that you get added to that. But let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful uh, for the biblical narrative, for this amazing story that we are swept up in, that before the creation of the world, you sat around with Father and Holy Spirit to be able to dream up what we would be, and that that dream included us being able to be in a full, complete relationship with you, with each other, and with creation. We're sorry that so often we choose to go our own way. We say thanks, but no thanks to your best and to what that original design is, but we are grateful that you never give up on us, that a part of what the biblical story is, is you consistently and patiently just being there for people who choose to walk away from you. And we thank you that ultimately at the right time you came to be the Messiah, to be the saviour, the rescuer, the one who would fulfil all prophecy to be able to establish God's eternal kingdom, to come as our king, to come as the one who sets up the way that life was always supposed to be. We're grateful that we get to catch glimpses of that in who you are. We get to catch glimpses of that in the way that you live. We get to catch glimpses of that in your teaching We get to catch glimpses of that in the ways in which we see you interacting with other people. And we're grateful that we get to catch glimpses of that as we look at the church throughout history and as we have our own experience of journeying in the church. Our desire is that we would continue to be people who understand what your kingship looks like in our lives, who understand what it looks like to give ourselves fully to life the way that you created it to be, but also who live out your kingdom values. And we thank you that as we engage with Scripture, that's the whole point, is just to discover more about how beautiful and amazing and incredible all of that is. And so we ask that you would continue to ignite a passion in us to be engaging with Scripture, not so that we can check it off of our to-do list, not so that we can somehow feel like that might earn more of your favour, but simply to recognise that this is where we discover life. This is where we discover who you are. This is where we discover who we are. And as we move out uh, into the rest of today, as we move out into the rest of this week, 
We pray that you would continue to remind us that you are at work all of the time, that there isn't a moment where you're distracted or unaware of what's going on for us. You want to give us opportunities to encounter you all of the time. So increase our sense of expectation about what it looks like to see you, to know you, and to grow in our relationship with you, we pray. In your name, amen.